Welcome to L&D Disrupt, the podcast dedicated to helping you overcome workplace challenges and prepare for the future of work today. I'm your host, Nelson Sidlingham, and I'll be speaking with the movers, shakers, and path breakers in L&D who are reshaping their organizations right now. Join us each week as we delve into the highs and lows of work in the industry to get to the real nitty-gritty stuff that you actually care about. Today, I'm joined by Jenny Brown, Chief People Officer at Teamwork, the team collaboration software used by over 350,000 organizations. And we'll be discussing how LND can leverage technology to navigate these challenges and make the most of the opportunities. Jenny, welcome to the show. Lovely to be here with you, Nelson. Um, I'm really, really excited because you've got an extensive experience in in kind of really building out people functions and and leveraging technology really to to achieve your outcomes. And before we go into tech and how you've used tech, I'd like to take a step back to really look at the challenges you've faced as as a people team in this kind of new hybrid way of of working. So what have been some of the, the challenges you guys have faced? I think the challenges are probably not unique in that it really was the urgency to pivot um, and to do so in a very comprehensive fashion. I think everybody has dabbled in some level of tech platforming for L&D and for any kind of level of people um, activity. But with um, the seismic and immediate shift to remote working, um, hybrid working, um everybody just had to really reimagine, re- reframe what they were doing. Um, so I think that was probably the biggest challenge. Um, I joined Teamwork mid of last year um, as their CPO. So in some senses came at the end of that sort of tsunami. Um, and really at that point, I suppose the main the main approach we used our own product teamwork is a, a fantastic product yeah. um, uh, for allowing that level of kind of collaboration across teams across project teams so we used our own product a product um to um kind of enable onboarding and to do elements around that um, and everybody got a license to um a learning content um, provider um Um, But it was pretty rudimentary. There was no kind of connecting the dots. There was no level of strategic thinking. Um, And so I suppose the focus that I've been taking since then is really thinking about, you know, the role of learning um, and and really moving to digital first um, rather than ups digital, you know, but actually thinking positively, proactively, strategically, that digital is actually, you know, going to be very much our core um, mindset as we as we go forward. And, and how does that kind of manifest itself when you take, say, onboarding, right? How are you, um, how is onboarding previously done? And what are you looking at now to, to kind of change to make it more digital first? Yeah, good question. So onboarding is a big sticker. We're growing. We grew by 20% last year. We're growing by 30% this year. Wow. So onboarding is, yeah, we've gone from having the kind of the, 
across the table, well, virtual table conversations about, oh, hiring, we can't get people to, we also now are trying to onboard them. Um, so by about Q, beginning of Q4 last year, I realized this was now going to start becoming another pain point. So we, I've just recently hired um, our, a learning specialist into the team who is going to be focused on onboarding and building out digital content. So she's an instructional designer. Um, so very much looking at a fully digital first onboarding program um, and I think you know it allows us that scalability um, that we absolutely need as we're growing but it also allows for a much more ironically personalized tailored solution for people um, and experience and um, we do a lot of things already but there's a huge amount of effort in the background and it takes up a huge amount of effort to get things done um, so this will allow for I suppose a kind of a consistency um, right. and a connection across teams and up and down. Um, and it also from a compliance perspective, it gives us a lot more ability to get that kind of, you know, <clears throat> the less interesting pieces out of the way. Um, and then, um, and I know you have a question around, you know, face to face, and we may come to that later, but certainly, you know, we've, we're looking very much now at our LMS, LMX stack, um, looking at what content providers we can we can we can bundle in. How do we integrate what we do internally from a people perspective across sales enablement, across customer onboarding, and how do we actually think about that holistically rather than everybody just doing something separately and actually using the digital digitization um, in a, in a kind of a more strategic but very tactical way that that's much more impactful. You know, on the onboarding part, one of the common things we hear when companies are kind of shifting to more of a digital-led approach is they almost feel like it loses the, the personable humanness that you might get from, you know, synchronous or having coffees, etc. And it doesn't have mm -hmm. to be that way when you do it properly. Um, how are you tackling that? How are you making sure people are still getting a feel for the culture of the organisation? even when it's done uh, digitally? So I think it's a really good, um, it's a great problem to have to solve, you know, um, think, and think, and it's important to think about culture in a remote setting and think about how are we intentional about creating that connection and that sense of belonging to a place. Um, and actually, I think digitizing onboarding elevates that um, and, and improves our ability to do that because instead of spending time you know, meeting people going through, this is how you do expenses. This is how you apply for annual leave. It's not really sexy. It's not really interesting. And it's much better that somebody can do that asynchronous, asynchronously and yeah. micro consume that and they can get that information as and when they need it. And it doesn't disappear. They can go back to it whenever they need to. So they're, so it puts it's more empowering for the individual and they, they get the information as and when it works for them. And then I think what it does is it creates that space to get creative, um, having virtual coffees, um, which we do. We do coffee roulette and we have weekly connect calls with all of our staff. We welcome everybody who joins. We have a welcome, a meet with the founders uh, coffee and as part of the onboarding program. Um, and so we actually put a lot of effort into the culture piece. Um, and in some in some way, ironically, we put a lot of effort into the manual sort of onboarding and never actually thought about, well, you know, there's got to be a better way to do this. And there absolutely is. And as opposed to just getting a big task list, which is kind of what people are getting, 
And I think it's about thinking about onboarding as not being a process, but about being an experience. And I think that's where digitization can really elevate that. And, and you mentioned you've kind of recently brought on board a, a learning specialist with instructional design background. And mm. what was the driver behind the, the kind of decision to bring in someone with instructional designing uh, skills, right? So really, what was the kind of thinking around why do we need to create content rather than, say, curating existing content? What, what was the kind of driver behind that decision? Um, I think because the, the audience changes and also the way people are consuming information has changed hugely. We are in a TikTok generation where that is now more, um, you know, is, is ahead of Google in terms of that because of the drive for video content. Um, so we have to think differently. We have to not just, you know, uh, you know, kind of record our analog records and, and say, well, now that's a digital experience. It's not. It's yeah. just a recording of an analog record. Um, and so, you know, I think that's the danger and that that can be where we trip up. I think we have to actually go back to basics and we need to look at those design thinking principles that we all talk about and we write, read books about and then we forget about when we're actually doing our day to day job. But actually, what is it that our people need to know? So if we're onboarding people, what do they absolutely need to know? When do they need to know it? And what's the best way for them to consume that um, information? And it, there's also that piece that as an organization, we're growing. So we're adding teams, we're changing our strategy, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're becoming much more geodispersed. Um, and so therefore, what people need to know is changing. So there isn't necessarily existing content there anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so it provides a great opportunity to to reframe that and to build it out much more from the bottom up, from the ground up. You know, we've, we're, we're, we can continually get feedback from people who we've onboarded. Um, and, you know, it's great. Broadly speaking, people really, really like the way we onboard, but it just takes a huge amount of organizational effort and we could be much smarter about it, much slicker um, and then have way more impactful touch points with people to do that piece around culture and connection. And how do you think on a more, I guess, beyond the onboarding, the kind of continuous upskilling of, of people, how does that look in a digital first approach you know, compared to the kind of old school approach of let's book a two day course and invite everyone there for a couple of days? How does that look different now? I think it's not an either or. I'm not sure that we need to kind of go everything that it was ever done was wrong. Um, there's a lot of good things about immersive learning. Um, there's a lot of good reasons why you would have people in a room. Um, but there's a lot of reasons why you wouldn't. And that's why I think that's where the digitization of learning actually becomes really valuable for an organization. It allows that segmented view and it allows for if this is just a compliance course, then people can do that in their own time. If this is just something that's knowledge based, then people can go and do that in their own time. But and then it allows for that piece to already be done. So when you do have people in a room in an offsite in a workshop environment, you're driving experience, you're looking at scenarios, you're building actual experience and learning connection across. Um, and that's way stickier. Um, and fundamentally, I think we always have to remind ourselves what learning is actually about. It's not a activity in its own right. We always have to have that so what moment and go, well, so what? We do this. Who cares? 
there has to be some impact back into the business. We're either driving behavior, we're ensuring some level of compliance, we're building skills that we need to deliver for our customers, for a product um, to drive our strategy forward. But there's always that so what? And I think the so what then, you know, we work back from that and decide what's the best way to actually achieve that outcome. And and that's a great point, uh, Jenny, around the kind of so what? And it's really driving the outcome and seeing whether what you're doing is is actually having a measurable impact on the business or not but that's often the area that we hear you know speaking to uh, people leaders and LD leaders is is finding that connection to be able to say actually this learning experience did actually help improve performance in a measurable way what's your approach at teamwork for trying to see you know what is the impact of the experiences that we're delivering to people so again, I suppose it's very much a green field for us. And one of the things that I'm doing this year is actually reframing our performance model. And I think that's kind of where a lot of things sit. Um, you know, we we stitch together um, deliverables to, 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 to the business outcome. And then we look at the gaps um, organizationally um, around how we can actually deliver to that, if we can deliver to that. And sometimes they're organizational gaps, sometimes they're behavioral, sometimes they are just basic skills. They're nice because that's very binary. It's yes, you know it, no, you don't. Love those, very easy. But when it's more behavioral, it's trickier. I do really feel strongly that the people lead, the people manager is is the absolute champion of all of these things any strategy that we will ever look to do and execute against will 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 succeed or fail on the back of our people leadership. Um, and so I think that alignment is really, really important, having a clear definition of what the role of people leader is and what our expectation is, making sure we measure them for that. Right. Um, we are continually evaluating. So we would do quarterly engagement surveys. We have an organizational goal this year of an ENPS number. So we've put our, you know, at a, at a leadership level, we went actually engagement by our people is as important as any other business metric we have. And that is a very clear indicator because that assesses engagement. And, you know, we often see accomplishment coming up as a negative driver or career growth. So we can see very quickly whether or not what we're doing is having the impact that it needs to have. But I think fundamentally, we have to stitch everything together. We cannot be a series of initiatives and programs. And I think L&D can get a little bit high in the you know, high on on virtue about we've run X amount of, of programs and we've had these amount of people doing this amount of hours. And it's like, so what? Who cares if if it's not stitched together and it doesn't connect back to what the business says matters? And if you can't show any impact to how our customer satisfaction rates are, our candidate health score from a hiring perspective is our hiring competency where it needs to be. We can see very quick, queer, quickly the metrics. Yeah. And that's definitely the the power of digitization. There's all of these inbuilt metrics. There's ways to get feedback. There's ways to link performance and engagement and growth. Um, and we just need to sometimes do a bit less and do more in that space. Absolutely. I mean, the, the focus on outcomes over output is, is so critical because often you find people falling into a trap where the, the output is almost a way of showing the, the kind of managers above that, look, I, I am getting stuff done. Um, yeah. and, and it's just a, a false dichotomy in a way where 
yes, you're doing a lot, you're using up a lot of resources, but actually those resources aren't moving the needle. It's really just a waste of resources. And it's kind of bringing it back to that focus on, on outcomes is, is so critical. And touching on something you mentioned early, uh, earlier, Jenny, around um, kind of bringing the team together um, digitally and, and knowledge sharing is one of those things that I think a lot of companies initially struggled with once you know lockdown kicked in, we went to working remotely, and they all of a sudden realized how much knowledge was actually being shared through um, just osmosis of being in the office space, hearing people tapping on each other's shoulders. Then all of a sudden you're at home and you can't do that anymore. And you have to now be a lot more intentional and deliberate about how you're doing these things. How did you approach that of, of kind of maintaining and empowering people to um, teach and learn from each other in a hybrid environment? I would say there's no magic bullet. And I think we're all trying to figure that one out. Um, what I would say is that because we're a product focused company, we have product teams. They're quite cross-functional. They meet, they have regular standups. So I think the organizational structure design of, of, of a place can lever to that. Um, so being intentional about that. But I do think, you know, what I do like is we're looking into some nice LMSs at the moment. And there's a lot of look when I started doing LMSs, you know, five, six years ago, there was maybe five, you know, now there's 50 million like and they're all doing different stuff. But what I like is this evolution around this idea of collaborative learning. And I think that's a nice space um, because it does address elements of that. And it says actually you know, learning is multifaceted, it's multidirectional, you know, you can have reverse mentoring up, you can have peer learning. And again, it's thinking about how do we do this? Um, when is it most appropriate to do this? And um, when is it impactful to do this? But, you know, giving people the freedom, you know, and kind of creating that, I suppose it's less of a thing now, but you know, before back in the day when people actually went to conferences and did courses that you would get them to come back and do a share of what they've done, you know, as much yeah. to check that they've actually gone. Um, but, you know, <laughs> it was also this sharing socialization of, of learning. And I think that's an important piece. So, you know, our culture is very collaborative. It's very much around being open and transparent. Um, and I guess culture then also is a big driver in our an organization's ability to nurture curiosity, to value it, you know, to enable it. We everybody who joins teamwork gets an annual conference allowance. Um, um, and so the expectation is that people would do that either online or, or attend events. So again, I think culture, expectation. The enablement of the organization to learning is, is also very, very powerful because that sets up that kind of, you know, um, vista that if you learn something, you you know, expedition, you share that learning, you move it around. Everybody gets about 50 bucks when they join. Yeah. We're also going to be digitizing that. Um, so, um, you know, but again, I think that's key too. Um, but I don't think there's any magic bullet, but I do think being really intentional is important and looking at it, all of that you know, together um, and saying, you know, I think mentoring, we forget about mentoring sometimes when we think about onboarding. And I think that's where that's where that space is really, really important, because if you're digitizing a lot of your onboarding, it just allows for a lot more of that value add. Yeah. Um, but actually, what is a mentor? What's their role? How do they operate? You know, again, it's just I think we have to re rethink everything and just be precious about nothing. 
And I guess when you're ro- rolling out tools, you just mentioned kind of buying uh, learning platforms. Uh, and one of the biggest risks of buying any kind of HR tech is, is when you're rolling it out, if you don't get the engagement, right? That's the biggest risk. So mm-hmm. what are some of the things to think about when you want to successfully roll out uh, a new bit of technology and make sure you get that kind of adoption and engagement? Um, what, what are some of the things to do? I think the very first thing to do is figure out why we're doing it. Um, you know, what a problem are we solving? What impact do we anticipate from doing this? Are we just layering on something that's not really going to be helpful or is it actually really going to do something different and 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 solution um, organizationally? Um, I think it's really important when you figure that out to actually engage across stakeholders before you do anything, check Give them your view of why you're doing this, but just always validate that you know you know you're not you're not um, in the rabbit hole so much that you don't see what's actually going on around you. Um, and check perception, check perception of value of this initiative, check perception of anything that's already there to go, well, actually, what is not working? What do you not like? And let's think about that first. So I think you know, doing that discovery process is really, really important first. Yeah. Um, I also think sometimes HR, I remember being at a, an event in Brussels a number of years ago, um, and uh, there was a really interesting kind of talk about the idea that that HR people need to act much more like marketing. Um, and it really resonated for me, this idea of having that business case, having the value proposition, linking what what you're trying to do to to a business deliverable and a business outcome and also not being afraid to just start small pilot so if you're bringing in a new platform we are bringing in a new performance and engagement platform um at the moment and we're going to pilot it with a small team to see how their experience of it is before we fully roll it out so we can take the feedback, we can iterate, we can understand how to position it for the rest of the organization in terms of what people really liked. Because, you know, the, the, the vendor is always going to go, well, this is great. Um, but actually, if people in the organization can go, I really like this, and this is why it automatically gets it much stickier. Um, so I think just thinking about why you're doing it, engaging with the people who will be impacted by this change, um, and, and going slow to go fast. Um, take a pilot, see what happens, build it out, um, iterate, um, and don't go too big too soon. You know, um, I think we spend a huge amount of budget on things that are pointless. Um, um, and again, it's this disconnection. Always make sure that you and your team are fully connected to where the business is at. Know the pulse. If you know the pulse, you shouldn't go too far wrong. It, it always amazes me, uh, Jenny, when I see like, procurement processes where users aren't involved at all in the entire Mm. buying process. And and I think this is a common problem you get with B2B software in general, where you've got the bio is quite often different to who the user is. And I think especially when it comes to learning platforms in L&D, the L&D is a type of user of the platform. And often what we find is they look at it from the lens of problems that they have, like which are typically operational and admin. And that's why you end up with systems that are over-engineered from an admin operational perspective. And they might be great for all of that reporting stuff, but actually if yeah. no one's using it, 
it all of that stuff is is pointless. And I think because the users are often not involved in that buying process, you end up with admin heavy products that are not great for the user experience. And so, yeah, absolutely engaging and stakeholders and users from the get-go is, is such a powerful way of making sure you're buying the right solution. Um, but all right, I could go on asking you questions. Yeah. We're going to jump onto our quick fire round. I'm going to fire. I would just say one thing is that I think it's really important that L&D sits within the overall people team. I've seen where L&D stands on its own, like some kind of wonderful ivory tower and that's where things go very badly wrong. In the same way as hiring teams can be over there, I think they need to have that overarching umbrella. It needs to be owned by, by your CPO or your head of people because it has to stitch together. Um, I think that's that's also fundamentally um, important to, to get it right. Sure. But now we can go. Now we can go. And aligns people experience, right? And I think it, that's... Definitely important. All right. I'm going to fire some questions at you, Jenny. And if you can do cool. Get nervous. Get nervous, Nelson. <laughs> All right. Uh, first one is, how do you learn, Jenny? Um, I, I tend to talk to a lot of people who know more than me um and to tease things out so i think peer learning is really important having a good network is really important i think podcasts are really valuable because you can dip in and out nobody well i don't have time anymore for sitting down and reading three books i love all these people who push up on linkedin this is my book of the week and i'm like well clearly you do nothing <laughs> um you know i it's just i i'd love to be that per- i did english in college i was that person no more um so i think podcasts are great i love you know harvard business review quick articles that are basically what you know you'd p- find in a book but just in a way more condensed version um and i think learning platforms are great because you can do you can micro consume your courses in a way that works um and is flexible i think agile learning is key um, so I think it's whatever works, but that's kind of the way I do things. Um, um, and I learn by getting it wrong. I do things that doesn't work and I go, well, that wasn't a great idea. We won't do that again. Um, so I, that's, that's pretty much what I do. Um, what do you love most about your job? Oh, it is, it's a bit of a runaway train right now. So it's great from that point of view. There's huge opportunity to be impactful. When I started in June, you know, there was no real defined people strategy. There was no defined people team. We didn't have a talent strategy. Um, we had massive demands around hiring. Now we're looking at onboarding. So every day is different. There's always a problem to solve. Um, um, but what I really love is the fact that um, my I was hired very much first and foremost to be a business leader and the domain expert second. They don't come across you very often. Um, and so I really am enjoying working with the leadership team and kind of that we have that organizational vision where people are very much part of that. So very much the people centricity pieces. You're not having that argument. You know, my challenge is just getting on with it and delivering um, a very kind of pacey agenda. But it's great. And I work with great people. What do you know now that you wish you knew at the start of your career? that I'd have a career. I don't think I really thought I'd have one. I just started working and that was that. And I worked actually, ironically, my first role was in learning. Um, I knew nothing um, and I did that. And then I moved into different roles over the last number of years. And I've just always had, I suppose, a passion for 
for growth and to that we can always be better, do better. And I think intrinsic in all of that is, is that learning journey. If there's one thing you could change about L&D today, what would it be? Oh, just one. Um, I think, I think for me, it's the big thing is this, this silo nature of it that, that can be there. I think, L and D in and itself is a nothing. It's a it's a so what moment. It it serves the purpose for the business. It grows for the business, um, and I think it needs to always stay connected to that um, mission. Um, um, and I think that's that's probably the one thing I would change is just understand what they're there to do and who they're there to do it for. What's your favorite productivity hack? Oh, I don't have one. If somebody could please tell me it, I would be really, 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 really delighted. Um, I just keep going. I don't think I have one. Um, I, I do have an ability to get very focused when I need to be and get things done. And I can certainly focus others quite effectively. Um, um, and I just I'm relentless and I have a lot of energy. What's the one bit of advice that you've given the most? Don't do that. <laughs> be used in so many situations i like it yeah um what's the one thing you've changed your mind about recently oh i change my mind all the time i think winston churchill once said that the person who doesn't change their mind doesn't change anything um and so i i i i think that aside from his cigar smoking and um and many other qualities that he had that was certainly one of them was you know, I think we have to be agile. Um, so I change my mind a lot. Um, I, I'm not fixed. And the last one for you, Jenny, today is what are you most proud of? Ooh, um, I think um, I am most proud of the fact that I've had opportunity in my life to, to do things that have been impactful, that have changed, that have made things better for other people. Um, I think it's not often that you can do that and you, there's not many roles that, that you can do that in. Um, and I think being in a people role does provide that opportunity um, for you um, in a meaningful way, not in a, you know, I made you feel better today, but, a, you know, we did something really important, you know, that helped the business to be more successful, that allowed your experience of work to be better, um, which gives you huge satisfaction. Um, and I think that's, you know, what's not to love. It's a great note to finish on, Jenny. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Nelson. Lovely to speak with you. And that's a wrap. I hope the insights help you too in creating a digital first learning culture that helps you support your people in this new world of work. If you like this episode, please do share it with your colleagues, your friends and your network. It really supports the show. And if you'd like to connect with either myself or Jenny, you can find our details below. Until next time.